Hello, everyone, and welcome. Hello, everyone, and welcome. This is our Monday SUM Chapel worship, and you are all invited to worship with us. Stop what you're doing, and let's just get into a time of seeking God's beautiful face. Jesus, we love you. We worship you, God. You are amazing, Lord. You are worthy of it all, God. Everything that we have, we give to you, God, because it's, it is because of you that we are here today, God. It is because of you that we live and we breathe. God, we love you. We worship you. Jesus, we worship you. You are so worthy, God. If you guys know this song, sing it along with us. Worthy of every song. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. We live for you. Let's sing that again. Worthy. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Of every breath, worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you, we live for you. We sing holy, holy, there is no one like you, there is none beside you. Open up. Oh 
God, we are no longer slaves to sin, God. We're no longer slaves to the flesh, God. But you have healed our hearts, Lord. You make us whole, God. You give us lives that we could never imagine, Lord.
creator of heavens and earth may we never lose your wonder god may we always look to you like little kids god so su so surprised and in all of the beauty and the splendor and the wonder god i pray that we would never forget who you are and what you have done for us god where you've taken us out of god and where you are taking us god all the beautiful things that you have given us god and the very air that we breathe Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, Lord, and we worship you. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Well, uh, <laughs> praise God. If you're uh, watching live, just give a hand clap to Jesus. God is so good, so merciful. So great. Um, that was a great time of worship. Thank you, Cuzzo, for leading us to the throne room. Well, uh, I'm super honored and privileged to share with you a word today. Uh, I, so much, so much, uh, so much honor for this, man. Like, really, just to, to be able to speak to you guys. I can't really see you guys. I want to, maybe I can change it. No, I can't. I'm speaking on my phone. Can you guys hear me? Am I good, loud and clear? Okay, cool. So, yeah, it's just an honor and privilege to be able to speak to the SUM students. Uh, I know that maybe there's some watching live that are in Chicago, but uh, it's an honor to speak to you as well. But to the people that are in Chicago, uh, even though you're at home in quarantine, it is so special uh, to be able to share the word with you guys today. Uh, today, I'm gonna be, uh, the sermon title is called Entrusted. And I'm going to be talking about just uh, how we're trusted by God. The sermon passage is going to be out of 1 Corinthians 9, 15 through 18. But before I do so and get into the word, I kind of want to introduce myself just in case some of you don't really know much about me. Or if you're watching and you're not from Chicago and you haven't heard my testimony. Uh, my name is Joseph Bonilla. Uh, I am a Bible college graduate. I graduated from SUM. Uh, I became a Christian at the age of 18, okay, so uh, I grew up, but that doesn't mean I didn't know about the gospel. I actually grew up in church most of my life. I actually remember uh, Bible studies with uh, uh, Desiree's mom and my mom. They would all have Bible studies. I know she remembers that back when we were younger, and so I, 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 I grew up having some type of knowledge about God, what was wrong, what was right, 
but I never really knew Christ. I never knew about the grace of God. And uh, I never knew how that could change you. So uh, I ended up, even though knowing about God, completely turning away from any type of knowledge of him. I mean, I was afraid to go to hell. So I kind of didn't do as bad things, you know, like I didn't, I didn't really, uh, I don't have a crazy uh, movie like testimony, but I was stuck in sin. And I was just as much as anyone deserving of hell, deserving of God's wrath. And I couldn't break out, didn't know what to do. Uh, but at age 18, uh, uh, God really began to press on my heart and he drew me to himself. And I remember finding freedom in Christ, like literally just completely freedom from Jesus. So praise God. At, at 18, I was saved. Then at 19, uh, I received the call to do ministry, joined SUM. And in SUM, I did my practicum in Elevate and Evangelism. That was most of my uh, practicum time, if not all of it. Uh, and in ministry now, I am a youth director and I am the youth director in Elevate Chicago. So praise God for that. I'm married, been married for uh, almost 10 months, this tw uh, the 27th of this month. Um, but that's just a little bit of myself, but enough of that, right? During my time in SUM, uh, just like many of you, I learned things about God that uh, really stuck with me, you know, uh, just really pressed on my heart. One of those things for me was this, uh, that Jesus actually trusted me. Uh, growing up, uh, I knew a lot of people that knew about God, but they really uh, failed me. You know, they really failed me. They didn't live up to my standard. I didn't live up to my own standard. So whenever I would have conversations with people as a backslidden youth, uh, at like 14 years old, I'd be like, bro, I'm messed up. You know, don't just follow God. Don't follow me. Right. And I thought that was the way we we're supposed to live. And, and, uh, you know, unfortunately I see actually many SUMers speak like that on Facebook. Uh, when I did my time in Mardi Gras, I would hear people talk like that, but, uh, I was sure wrong because the thing is God actually trusts us. That's an insane, it's an insane idea that God actually puts trust on us. And what exactly does God trust us with? God, tr he trusts us with the gospel, right? He trusts us with the gospel, not just uh, the living of the gospel, which I'm not going to speak much about today, but the preaching of it. Now, the thing about being trusted with God is that Christians weren't the first to be trusted with God. Matter of fact, this goes back before uh, Christ came. But uh, since the beginning, God has actually trusted mankind. So before I get into our passage I have uh, two questions for the Chicago SUM cohort. Uh, the first question is this. What does the word transgression mean? What does the word transgression mean? If you have the answer, if you have any answer, uh, feel free to share. I would love for you guys to tell me what you think. The word transgression. To uh, break the law, I'll throw that out there. Man. Oh, snap the law. Talking about breaking the law. Okay, good answer, good answer. That's, that's true. That's right. Anybody else have another answer? Offense, an offense. Offense, yep, that's good. Yeah, so basically you guys pretty much summed it up. The word transgression means to break the law, but most specifically, it means to break trust. Uh, it means to break trust. It's an offense, yes, because we've broken trust and we are breaking God's law. Uh, but before the law was actually uh, 
given to Moses, uh, the word transgression was used. It was actually used in the book of Job. So transgression has been around since before the law was given to Moses. We broke uh, trust with God. And we did that in the beginning when God entrusted us with dominion over creation and authority over creation, when he trusted us with the tree of life, when he trusted us with the actual image of God. You see, the image of God, many people think it just has to do with identity, that it's just, uh, you know, you're beautiful no matter what. Even if, you know, you're like me and you got a kind of a lazy eye, don't worry, you're good, you're beautiful, you're made in the image of God. That speaks, that is the truth, truth in that. There is truth in that, okay? There is the image of God as an identity and, and your worth. But the thing is, the image of God is also a role. When they were given the image of God, now they acted in place of God. So on earth, they were given a role. So when they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they had actually broken trust with God when he trusted them with the image of him, right? So uh, I hope that's clear because we're going to move on from that. My second question is this. If you have taken Old Testament uh, history or any Old Testament class, uh, this actually hit me hard. I was like, whoa, this is super cool. When you started to learn the cultural uh, comparisons between the Jewish people, how they lived and the people of that time, just middle, the, the Middle East and that era. But what is a Caesarian treaty? A Caesarian Treaty. If you're taking the Old Testament class, you might know this. If you haven't, I'm so sorry. You're probably you're probably out of luck or out of uh, out of answers. But what is the Caesarian Treaty? Caesarian Treaty. It's a big thing when you're learning about Deuteronomy and the covenant between God and uh, the Israelites. I'll give you guys a couple seconds looking through your notes, right? Okay, five, four. Okay, no one has an answer. It's okay, it's all right. So, this is something that also hit me when I found out uh, really how God's covenant works. The Caesarean Treaty, in, uh, in short, is a covenant ma made between two parties or a treaty made between two parties. One party is a greater king and the other is a lesser king. The lesser king serves the greater king that protects the lesser king. That, uh, and sometimes uh, the lesser king is referred as servant and the greater king is referred to as lord. Sometimes the lesser king is referred to as son and the greater king is referred to as father. Uh, in the in the Bible, right in Deuteronomy, this is how the covenant between God and man works. We as uh, well, them as the Israelites, right? That's our heritage. You know, we're we're grafted in that, right? The Israelites, we were uh, the lesser king. We had you know things, right? But we knew of God. We knew of the greater King. We knew of His glory. We seen it in Egypt. So when we made this covenant, we made a covenant serving the greater king and the greater king would protect us right that's why you hear a lot about blessings and curses if you do this it will go good for you you know there's a lot of talks about blessing and curses but uh, regardless won't get into a rabbit trail this is how the covenant works right the lesser party the greater party okay now i believe that is how the covenant works throughout the whole bible so from the beginning uh and then 
we we see that not only with Deuteronomy, uh, but also, you know, the whole book of the law, the whole Pentateuch. So from the beginning, we see that God trusted us uh, and that we broke the trust that we had with him. I mean, you think about uh, the trust that we had with God, you know, in the garden. You think about uh, Noah and how him and Shem, you know, hey, how he got drunk and his son uh, defiled him, right? Uh, but then you think about also how we broke trust with others throughout history. You think about uh, Abel and Cain, right? How, how Cain killed Abel. You think about Joseph, how his brothers transgressed against Joseph and sold them into slavery. And then you even think about David, right? When David transgressed around, uh, against Uriah, it seems like many people, it doesn't matter who has committed a transgression. Now, the Israelites had many failures. And one of the biggest failures, right, was uh, not really being able to be a light to the nations because in Romans 3, uh, verse 2, it says that, uh, that the, uh, the Jews were actually the very first to be entrusted with the words of God. So we think about the word of God and how that's actually something we're entrusted with. The Jews were the first to do that. And what did they do? They actually slept with, uh, they, they made themselves prostitutes and they defiled the word of God and they brought shame upon the name of God by uh, not only uh, becoming like the other nations, right? But taking on practices from the other nations and then saying that God's good with it, right? They broke his trust entirely. And they did that generation after generation. If you ever read the book of Judges, that's a good illustration of just how messed up the Israelites were. So here's the thing. All that has happened. We've broken God's trust. We've really messed up. You think from the very beginning, every covenant we made with God, it was almost like a failure right after that. Even though God said, don't fail, we ended up failing. Uh what happens now? Well, of course, we just celebrated Easter, right? The Resurrection Day. And there's a verse that you, I used to read, and I usually just read it kind of like almost as if uh, it was just a mundane verse. Not mundane as in disrespecting it, but yeah, I know what that means. I never really looked into it because I thought I knew what the word transgression meant. So I, whenever I heard the word transgression, I would just think, oh, that means sin. You know what I'm saying? That just means disobedience. Uh, but it's deeper than that, right? Even iniquity, if you guys ever have your own time to study, study the word iniquity as well, because that means something different than sin. Sin, sin means to miss the mark. Transgression means to break trust. In Isaiah 53, what does it talk about? It talks about him being pierced for our transgressions. And when it talks about him, right, it talks about the son of man, Christ. So Christ comes and what does he do with our transgressions? Well, for one, he makes it clear in his baptism he would do what that race of Adam, right? The race of Adam could not do. And that is fulfill righteousness. Everybody look to your neighbor, say fulfill righteousness. In a sense, he is going to earn our trust for God, from God, or earn our trust for God. He's going to earn our trust back. So he does what we couldn't do. And you think about his baptism when John the Baptist is like, nah, bro, I, you should be baptiz baptizing me. I'm not even worthy to tie your shoelaces. How could I ever baptize you? And he's saying, nah, man, I'm doing this to fulfill righteousness. And of course, we know that God shines his light on, 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 on Jesus. And he says, this is my son who I'm well pleased, right? So he's pleased with him. Jesus lives a sinless life. He does not break the trust that God, that the, God the Father has given him. Think about the covenant, right? The Caesarean, uh, the Caesarean treaty, right? You think about the, the lesser king, the greater king. You think about the father, the son. So in a sense, 
God, the man, right? God, the God man comes and he does what the Adam race could not do. All right. He fulfills the trust that we broke. And now, right. He takes our place in that, in that era of the, that, that the, the lesser King type role and he fulfills it. What else does he, and, that, and that's in Matthew 3, 15 about the baptism, but he's also pierced for our transgressions. Not only does he fulfill the trust that we broke, but now he is pierced for our transgressions, Isaiah 53 says. So this new Caesarean treaty that the new covenant now uh, is, is taken a part of, it has to do with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. No longer the law, no longer the promise to David, all of that. It, it comes under, it, it's, it's done away with, it's made obsolete. The Bible says actually the, the old covenants are made obsolete. The new covenant now is between us and God, and it's taking place in the, within the death, the burial, and the resurrection. Now, the death, burial, and resurrection, what's one word that summarizes that? The gospel. So the gospel. We now are not entrusted with the law. We're not entrusted with building a temple. We're not entrusted with any of that. As God's people now, we are trusted with the gospel. So think about that now from Adam and Eve, right? Their failure to all the Israelites, David, think about any person you could put in there. Now to us, we have a new covenant, a new treaty with the Lord. If we can, uh, if you guys want to turn quickly to uh, 1 Corinthians 9, 15 uh, through 18. I'm reading from the ESV. So now after Jesus resurrects, okay, his believers, they take this to heart and they start spreading the news, the good news of Jesus. Uh, we, of course, have the Great Commission, Matthew 28, and he tells them to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit, uh, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, right? So that's, uh, that's something he's trusting us with. He's showing the, the disciples, listen, I'm trusting you with this gospel. Go, spread it, right? Now, the, the apostles did that, right? Peter, James, John, they did that. They were doing it. Now, Paul gets a revelation. Paul was a man, of course, like many of you know, who was already a Jew, okay? He, he thought he was already doing what God entrusted him to do. But once he got knocked off his, uh, his horse, right? I was going to say uh, his donkey, right? He got knocked off his donkey. He fell and was blinded by the gospel, the glory of God. And Jesus came to him and, and basically told him, you, you know, tell people who I am. Tell people about the gospel. And he was obedient to that vision. He obeyed it. He saw it as something he was entrusted with. And he had to actually prove himself in a way to the other apostles. Well, that's what they thought. He went away 14 years later after that. He showed himself to Peter and uh, James and John, right? The, the big three, he showed himself to them and he basically told them uh, what he knew as the gospel. And they couldn't add anything to his message. They saw that he was entrusted with the message to the uncircumcised, the people that were not Jewish. So if we go to 1 Corinthians uh, 9, verse 15. I might want to start a little, oh no, I'll start at 15. Uh, but I have, uh, he's getting here and he's, he's talking to the Corinthians. He's an apostle. He's, he's approved by God. He's telling the Corinthians that he is deserving of money, right, for preaching the gospel, but he's not going to take it. That's the context here. He's not going to take any of it. He's not going to exercise the rights that he does have. Instead, he says, but I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. 
but I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. Now, his boasting is not that he preaches the gospel. It, continue, it continues to say, for if I preach the gospel, this gives me no, uh, no ground for boasting. For necessity, uh, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if, I, but if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching, I may present the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. So uh, I'm going to focus on a couple things that he said, uh, not the entirety, but Paul's so awesome, right? We praise God for Paul's testimony. He was preaching the gospel with outcharging people. He was actually a tent maker. He provided for himself. He didn't want to be a burden to anyone else. Now, for you, for those of us, for those of you in SUM, you should also, uh, especially if you're in the Chicago court, you know, take that to heart. Uh, we are in a church that is so awesome uh, in, in hearing the call of God for the city and making disciples and preaching the gospel, something that's actually not really done much of in the city. When you look at churches, many churches don't preach the gospel. Many churches uh, actually kind of shy away from it and in a sense bash us for doing it the way we do it, even though we're just following uh the apostles teachings right and their their standard but take that to heart he did this for free for the low for the free okay he was not a burden to anyone else so if you're an sum right now i encourage you guys if you don't have a job get a job right don't rely on others the bible says actually not to be dependent on anybody uh but to make it you know to if you don't work you don't eat you know first read first thessalonians is a good first thessalonians i believe chapter four do not to be dependent on anybody uh, but work hard, lead a quiet life. Do that because Paul did that. All right. But anyway, moving on from that. First thing I want to talk about when it comes to this passage is uh, the need to preach the gospel is laid upon us just like it was in Paul. So we have a need to preach the gospel. Uh, he says, for if I preach the gospel, this gives me no ground for boasting for necessity is laid upon me. It is actual. It is an actual need. All right. It's not it's not like I want to preach the gospel. But Paul is not saying, yeah, I want to preach this gospel. This is something I, I feel like doing. No, no. It is a need that has been placed upon him from whom? From Christ. So Christ placed this need on him. And actually, in Romans 9, 14, he says that he is indebted to others to preach the gospel. In nine, uh, Romans 9, 14, he says, I'm uh, indebted to preach the gospel to those who are uncivilized, the civilized. Um, he's indebted to them. He owes people to preach the gospel. And, and we, we can't escape that need that has been also placed upon us. We are indebted to others as well. The Bible says we are indebted to others by love, right? So we have this need that is placed upon us to preach the gospel. It is not just entrusted by God that we, you know, it's not just because of God to man that we need to uh, preach the gospel. But it's because of man to man that we need to preach the gospel. You see, every person that you see, and I and I, I, I want you to feel uncomfortable right now. Literally, I want you to understand in your mind, ha meditate on this right now. Every person you see has a soul. This soul has an eternal destination. This eternal destination is one or two places, heaven or hell. This is an uncomfortable truth. This is so uncomfortable because when you're riding in, when you're ri driving in your car and you see traffic, you don't think about all the souls in those cars. It's like, if you, if you really think about that, literally every person that is driving 
has a purpose given from God. They're made in the image of God. They're either sinners or saints. They're either going to hell or going to heaven. That's that's a, a lot to really have on your heart, but that's an actual need that we need to have. When you look at your neighbors, oh gosh, I remember when I moved out my house, it was my second year at SUM and I was taking a Romans class and I had uh, to take people down Romans Road. And if for those that don't know Romans Road, it's a way to preach the gospel. And I decided to preach to my neighbors and it hit me. It was like, man, dude, like I really don't know my neighbors. And I was so convicted because I'll see my neighbors. I'll try to have a conversation with them. But I lived in a neighborhood where like people literally was like, hey, you know, they'll give you that that nice uh, that nice smile. It's like, you know, the awkward smile, like they take their lips and they suck them in. And they're like and they just walk past me. So I'm like, oh, they don't want to talk. But now I lived in an apartment building. I went to the to the building next to me and I knocked on the door and I'm like, wow, I'm going to preach my God, the gospel to my neighbors. And they all rejected me. They didn't really want to talk to me at all. But here's the whole thing. It's like, like, how, why wasn't my heart breaking for them to begin with? Why wasn't I seeing them as souls, not just neighbors, right? But as souls, people that need, and of course the Bible says, love your neighbors, but people that need this gospel. When you think about uh, people that are in your job, customers, people that literally have that need placed upon your heart, meditate on it. Everyone you see is a soul in need of Christ. They're not just pieces of meat, uh, bags of bodies, but they're souls. Okay, amen. So think about that because we are indebted by love to preach to them. It's man to man. Others are trusting us to preach the gospel to them. We all know that many people need the gospel, yet they don't know it. Their soul is craving for something that they don't have because it's not really, it's not originated from this earth, okay? The Bible says eternity is in our hearts, that the, that, that, that really no one seeks after God, but literally we're all seeking. The ear, ears are never satisfied with hearing, eyes are never satisfied with seeing, that's what Proverbs says. So we're all seeking after something, trying to grasp at it, but just like Ecclesiastes says, everything is meaningless. So everyone in a sense knows that, uh, in a sense wants the gospel, just does not know they need it. They don't know the fulfillment that it brings, the satisfaction, the peace, the joy that it brings. So others, are trusting us to preach the gospel to them, unbelievers and believers, people that know of Christ, right? Because we we have to preach the gospel. We remind people of these things. The Paul actually, oh no, in First Peter it says that he uh, he was okay with reminding uh, the church that he was speaking to, the exiles of these things, of the truths, the gospel truth. So we have to remind other believers of the gospel truth. So other people are counting on us, trusting us to preach the gospel. And that is not just your type of people, right? So if you're Latino, it's not just Latinos. If you're uh, a person that uh, likes, you know, like one of those Instagram famous people, like the, the hipsters, if you're a hipster, it's not just hipsters that need the gospel. I mean, I see so many churches and I'm like, I like, they look like they're literally carbon copies of each other. And not to say they're not doing the work of the gospel, but it's like, literally they got the nice hat. They got the cardigan. They got uh, the, 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 they got the nice little scenery in the background, you know, their kids are dressed really nice and everything. And they look almost like you put them on a refrigerator or fridge. They look like the pictures you get before you put your picture on a frame. That's what they look like. And I'm like, well, the gospel, that's good that the gospel is reaching them. But then you look at who they're always with and they're never with the, the people that are literally, you know, almost like what Jesus would be with, right? The drunkards, the sinners, right? The people that can barely speak English, right? And they're, they're American, the people that don't really uh, know much, right? I mean, literally the gospel 
it started with not the most prestigious people, not the easiest people to, to be with, not the people that look the best in society, but it started with this. It started with sinners, sick people, uh, widows and orphans, right? The poor, okay? And, and literally, we have this uncomfortability when people smell too bad. We don't want to talk to them. We complain about them. Listen, if someone smells bad, it don't matter. If you're you're to preach to them. If people are uh, kind of intimidating, right? It, it does not matter. You preach to them. Now, of course, you use wisdom, and you don't just all of a sudden get up in their face, start calling them, you know, telling them to repent. But you, of course, you call them to repent. But you, you, repentance. But you got to use wisdom. It does not matter who it is the gospel is called to reach that person so they're trusting us that person that smells really bad on your uh, your local trans uh your local bus right uh for some of you that aren't in chicago that are watching this the cta famous for people doing all types of weird stuff on it uh peeing in the back um doing drugs in the back right like those people actually need the gospel it doesn't matter who they are when we go to new orleans and mardi gras you know, we think we're so cool. You know, we're talking to the, the broken people. You know, let me take a picture. I remember I was talking to this one dude who thought he was a pharaoh king slash god or something. And and literally smelled like urine. That does not, in a sense, for you to feel like good about yourself. No, you don't. You can't boast about that, that you preach to broken people. You were just like that. You were worse than that. So I, I'm just tired of many Christians doing a one-time mission and then saying that they're doing something, right? They, they post about it, you know? No, no, you, you haven't done much when you compare yourself to what Paul did. And Paul said he couldn't boast. So listen, understand this. We are called and we are entrusted to preach to others, not just because of God, but because of others. So that need has been placed upon us. That's a need. Have that need in your heart. Whoever you see, that is who you need to preach to. Don't wait for the spirit to tell you. Don't wait for some, some, uh, some, some abstract feeling to be like, oh, yeah, I feel this urge to preach the gospel. When Christians say that, honestly, it's kind of annoying because the, the need has already been placed. The spirit spoke to Paul. He spoke to the prophets. He spoke to every disciple. It's already been spoken. Preach the gospel. You don't need to wait for a word from the Lord. The word has already been placed. There's 66 books filled with words in the Bible. So that's all you need. You don't need to wait for the inclination of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has been inclining you since you got saved. So preach. That's it. That's it. We have a need. We need to feel it. Don't fight it. That's the burden. That's a good burden. Amen. So here's the thing. Next thing I want to talk about. When we go to uh, uh, the same passage, second, uh, 1 Corinthians 9, for he says, this, necess this necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. I'll get to that. For if I do this in my own will, I have reward. But if not of my own will, I'm still entrusted with a stewardship. So I'm going to talk about that now because we are entrusted with a stewardship. We are to be wise stewards, not only of our money, right? Like we hear on Sundays, right? But also of the gospel. We are stewards of the gospel. So 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I'm going to go there really quickly. Actually got lost for a second. Okay, right here. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse... We'll start off with verse one. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and have been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dare to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. 
we are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. Amen. Paul was telling Thessalonica what he was saying in, uh, to the church of Corinth. And he says this a lot. He, he talks about the gospel as something that he is entrusted with. We are entrusted with this gospel just like Paul. And listen, we may not do the things that Paul did with the gospel. I'm just going to be honest. Some of us maybe might not go to multiple nations and plant multiple churches, and we might not be able to do that. We might not be able to. It may not be what we're entrusted with to do, uh, entrusted to do with the gospel. Some of us might. You know, when I look at TJ and how he's already about to go on his second mission trip, you know, maybe that might be his calling. And he's to plant churches, and he has to do that well, and he has to do that how God has entrusted him to do that. But then some of us, right, we may be uh, not like that. We may just get this Bible college degree from SUM, and we may work a secular job, and we may have to be entrusted with that while also serving in the church. We may be uh, not planning churches. Maybe we're a campus pastor at a church that someone else planted, and then we serve at, at uh, another job. But either way, God is trusting you with the gospel in that life. You may be a mother and you may have kids. What is, what is God trusting you to do with the gospel in that life? How are you sharing the gospel still? How are you proclaiming the good news? Because no matter where you're at, God is entrusting you with the gospel. So we continue uh, uh, with Second uh, Thessalonians. Uh, some of, uh, my bad, sorry, repeat that, right? Some of us, we do, we do preach the gospel and we do it but we don't do it for impure motives. Now, many people preach the gospel to be seen by others, right? Like, look, I'm preaching the gospel, I'm doing this, and you don't actually have that compelling that Paul is talking about, because Paul said he was compelled to preach the gospel. So here's the thing, you have to get out of that mindset, get out of that mindset. You are preaching the gospel, you have to do it with, uh, with pure motives, not trying to uh, weasel your way in the people's lives, like uh, the Pharisees, for example. Jesus said that they they go to they go to make uh, disciples in other nations uh, just to make converts, right? To boast, we're we're not doing that to boast. We're not getting disciples to boast. We're not preaching uh, the the gospel to boast. We are not trying to weasel into people's lives. We're the we're preaching the gospel simply because we have been approved by God. And we want to please him. We're not trying to please others. So get that as an encouragement as well, that you are approved by God, that you're preaching the gospel because you're entrusted with it and you are to please him. Amen. So another thing, Paul says that he does not boast about preaching. All right. He does not boast about it. He does not brag about it. It is not something that he considers uh, something to be boast, boast uh, worthy of boast. Okay. So understand that you can't brag about it. It's something you're trusted to do. You're expected to do it. When something is expected of you, right? Just like if you have kids and you know you tell them to do something, like for example, brush your teeth, or uh, you know make sure that you uh, have uh, you know taken a shower, you've taken care of yourself, personal hygiene. That's expected of them to do. If they all of a sudden tell you, "Mommy, Daddy, I brushed my teeth. Can I have a couple dollars, right? I where's my allowance for brushing my teeth?" You're gonna ask. What are you talking about? You're probably going to send them back to the bathroom, right? So I'm brush your teeth again. Understand that that's what you need to do. You're ex that's expected of you. That's that's good hygiene, right? So when we as Christians, when someone, right, uh, we're going to preach the gospel and let's say we're with a, a bunch of brothers and sisters and you're 
uh, preaching the gospel, someone comes up to you, maybe a disciple, and they're like, yeah, I preached it like this person. You know, I'm done for the day. Man, you need to understand that that's, in, that's actually worthy of a young rebuke or a correction. They have to understand that that's expected of you. That's something that you have. That's a need that's expected. Of you. You're entrusted to do that. Paul then continues to say, we are uh, stewards of the gospel. We are stewards of the gospel. We are entrusted with the stewardship. Now, that's what the ESV says. Uh, I think the NIV says we're compelled and, uh, to, and we have to do something that the Lord has trusted, trusted with us that we've committed to. But I want to stick with the ESV. The ESV talks about stewardship. When it talks about stewardship, that means we're managers. We're managing our lives with the gospel and how we're preaching it. So a lot of people have preached the gospel incorrectly or have, uh, haphazardly. They've, been, they've done it without a sense of looking into it. They've done it just, uh, just um, all willy-nilly, you know, just saying, you know, people, you know, God loves you. Uh, you know, he, he, he forgives you. Yes. You know, and they never mention repentance. They never mention sin. They never mention hell. They don't even mention the death, burial, resurrection of Christ. When people have done that, when they think that saying God loves you is just the gospel, you have not been a wise manager of the gospel. When you think that you just have to form a relationship with someone and the nicer you are to someone, you think your life is preaching the gospel. That's how you know that you have not been a steward of the gospel. If you're not preaching how Paul preached, if you're not speaking how the apostles spoke, if you're not doing, right, if you're not speaking in a way where if someone heard your words and repented, they'd be saved, and they're like, oh, Sabi, I know who the Lord is because he just preached, and then I'm telling you, you're doing it wrong. You need to be a, a wise steward. You need to steward the gospel. That means how you speak, where you speak, and when you speak. You need to be a wise steward steward of the gospel in your practicums let's think about uh king's kids you're preaching to children right if you're just talking about like 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 right now you you have you're just preaching the gospel you're not even trying to help them understand it you're just literally telling them something and like run with the kids there is a level of understanding that needs to be had on the listener but as the speaker paul actually prayed that the understanding that he would that god would help him make the uh, gospel easy to understand, understandable. So if you preach the gospel and someone doesn't understand you, that actually also falls a bit on you. You're not being a wise steward of the gospel. I remember when I was preaching at uh, Boricua, uh, before Boricua Fest a few years back, and Jared, he corrected me when I was preaching, Professor Jared, oh, he's, uh, he was a professor here, uh, Pastor Jared, Pastor Jared, corrected me on my preaching and he said that I was just going over people's heads you know I was using words that people didn't know and I was talking to a young girl maybe a, a young girl or a young boy around 11 years old and he was saying they, they probably didn't understand the words you said he was saying that you have to be able to preach the gospel to a child and if they can understand it you know you can preach the gospel um, I'm pretty sure he, he didn't come up with that I think uh, C.S. Lewis said that but that is such a good thing to live by Preach the gospel in a way that a child can understand it. You are not preaching the gospel to sound holy, to sound uh, like you're some type of uh, pi uh, pietist person, you know. You're preaching the gospel so that people can repent and come to know you. So be a wise student of the gospel. Know your audience and preach to them. Don't preach over them. Preach to them. So what have you done with the gospel, right? Have you done what God has entrusted you to do with the gospel? Have you taken the gospel, received it for yourself, 
and then be uh, been able to help others understand it because that is something that we must do. We must do it well. Don't do it uh, flippantly, right? If you are a doctor and you're entrusted with a patient, if you're entrusted to take care of a patient and you just go in there blindfolded trying to take care of someone during heart surgery, you're going to get fired. As a matter of fact, you're going to cause that person a life that's lost. You're going to be sued, lose your job. You're not going to be able to be a doctor anymore. How much more with people's souls? We are people that are caring for people's souls in a way. When people have not heard the gospel, when they are in sin, we are to give the gospel in a way that they can receive it. I'm not saying sugarcoat it, but what I'm saying is if you're talking to a person that does not have an education and you're using words that you know they won't understand, listen, it's, it's break it down to them. Be a wise steward of the gospel. So my next point is that what Paul was talking about um, uh, in, in second, uh, first Corinthians chapter nine is uh, he mentioned in verse 16, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Those, uh, just that he's echoing what the prophets would echo. Uh, what Jesus said, when he was saying, woe to you, you Pharisees, you're like whitewashed tombs. Uh, you see a lot of that woe, like in, in the Bible. And that, that usually has to do with the prophets. And he's saying, woe to me, if I do not preach the gospel, almost as if he's warning himself, if I do not preach the gospel, something bad is going to happen to me. And that is actual, is that, that is the actual truth that there is an expectation of you when you're entrusted with something. If we go to cha uh, Luke chapter 12, uh, verse 35 to uh, 48, I'll, I'll read this and you can read along. Uh, I was evangelizing with Pastor Joe uh, last week or uh, earlier this week, and he shared with me this verse and we we're talking about uh, just uh, we're preaching the gospel on his Jeep. And he brought up this verse and this verse kind of stuck with me. I was already thinking of preaching about being entrusted with the gospel. And when he shared with me this, I just, I just kind of added it to it. And it's so crazy though. When you're reading it, I want you to actually picture yourself as one of the servants, right? You pick a servant, but understand that Jesus, is the master, of course, but we'll start off in verse 35, Luke uh, chapter 12, verse 35, be dressed ready for service and keep your lamps burning. Like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It would be good for those servants who, whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he would dress himself to serve. We'll have them recline at the table and we'll come and wait for them. Let me read that over again. It would be good for those servants and whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will dress himself to serve. We will have them recline at the table and will, will come and wait on them. It will be good for those whose servants, uh, those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the middle of the night or toward daybreak. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You must be ready. Because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Understand that the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. We live in times where people are reading this verse and it's becoming, it's, it's getting a little close to home, right? It's starting to hit them a little harder. Uh, my landlord, his son's an unbeliever. And even him, he's talking about the end times. So understand that right now, uh, SUM, 
is that this is a good time to share the gospel. This is a good time. People are thinking about the end of days. They're thinking about when the master comes back. They're thinking about facing God in judgment. If you think atheists don't uh, think that, think again. There's an atheist. His name is Cosmic uh, Skeptic. He does a whole video about how he's afraid of hell. Because if it, it is true that God is real, then God is going to judge him for his unbelief and his sin. And he will go to hell. That is something you need to think about when you're talking to people, when you're preaching to them. Understand that all that needs to be known about God has been revealed already. That God has been known by the heavens, his wrath and his glory. So understand that. Listen, people know that God, uh, that God is real. They're just suppressing the truth. Don't go timid. Go with confidence. You are saying the truth. So when Jesus says this, Peter asks, Lord, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? Basically, like, is it for me? Is it for, you know, everybody? You know, Peter was always that type of guy, right? Always try to maybe put on someone else, maybe try to weasel his way, find a loophole, right? But he's trying to understand, like, what, who is this parable for? The Lord answered, who then is the, face, uh, the faithful and wise manager? You're muted. We can't hear you anymore. Even though you're unmuted, we can't hear you. All right. So I'm not sure what happened to Joe B there, but we're not able to hear him anymore. So I think what we're going to do, um, I think the bottom line is he preached a good word. We understand that God has entrusted the gospel to us. We are a part of a church that has been awesome at preaching the gospel during these times. And we don't just wait for these times to preach the gospel, right? We are, we, are, um, we are always going out into the streets, into the byways and the highways, and we're always proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. We have, we have people going out all throughout the week to high schools, the college campuses. And I think it's something that in MPI Church that we have really been able to set that as a tone from the time that our church was started. So praise God, he has entrusted us with the gospel um, and we need to always preach, always preach with all of our heart and God is faithful. I know we have a lot of testimonies even in this room right now of what has happened during this time of quarantine. I think a lot of people thought, man, we're going to have to go to computers. We're going to have to not meet together and it's just going to stop the church. But what did Jesus say in Matthew? He said, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So that means no virus, no coronavirus, no nothing can stop the gospel of Jesus Christ. His church will continue to prevail during this time or any time. And we've been able to see so many come to Jesus, even during this time. You would think like it would be harder for us to 
get the momentum and get disciples and continue discipleship and all that stuff. But man, we have seen such a strong presence on Facebook and even our people going out with masks on their face, preaching the gospel, and then having family members reach out to our disciples and say, hey, you love Jesus so much. I want to know Jesus too. And even what Joe B was saying about his landlord's son, there's people who are backslidden right now that are starting to see the, the gospel and the Bible come to life and they want to know the truth too. So I think we have time maybe for uh, two testimonies. Let's, I want to start with Des. If you could give a testimony about your brother and what happened when you were faithful. See, because our students right now are doing all of their practicums online. We have to be creative and go out there and say, hey, I want you guys to go live on Facebook, give testimonies, do worship. Um, we even seen Malia just do write her own song and go out. Like, it is amazing to watch you guys go forth uh, with so much creativity during this time. And we have seen fruit from it. So we're gonna start with Des and she's gonna give a testimony about what happened when she shared about um, the truth about abortion and how that rocked her brother's life. Go ahead, Des. So, yeah. Um, now, let me tell you guys, like, I was really, I was nervous and I was like, man, I don't, I don't have anything right now. Like, I don't know what I'm going to say. Like, I don't know what it, but I felt in my heart and I'm like, okay, God, I'm, I'm just, I'm going to press live and I'm going to do it. And like, I don't know what's gonna like how it's gonna come out I don't you know the responses I'm gonna get I don't know nothing I'm just I'm just gonna press the button and I'm like and you please like have your way through that and whatever comes out like may you be glorified and and you know may lives be impacted um and uh yeah so I did it I shared what I did um and you know it was about abortion and my testimony and stuff like that and um I had got a lot of feedback from it, a lot of good stuff, you know, but the most bizarre for me was my brother. And I was like, he sent me a message and he said, listening to your testimony made me realize how real Jesus is. I cried because I heard a voice say that his love is greater than my sins. I was praying and said to the Lord, I want to love you like my sister. And then he said, thank you for sharing that little sister. It changed my life and it helped me realize no matter what, you know, his past was that Jesus forgives and makes new. And um, dude, that brought tears to my eyes because I'm like, wait, what? And, and so he called me and we started talking and he's like, dude, I'm telling you like that whole day, I felt such a heaviness on me. You know, my brother doesn't really talk like that, but he was like, every. He's like, I felt such a heaviness on me. He's like, and I couldn't shake it. And I started to feel like a lot of like, um, I've wasted my life. I could have done things for Jesus, but I decided to chase girls. And now look at me, he started to feel like it was too late. Like, you know, it was too late for him. And he's like, and your testimony, he's like, yeah, it was about abortion. He's like, but it spoke to me. And he's like, so I just, you know, I just think that's so crazy that your testimony about abortion spoke to me in such a way. And he's like, Des, I heard a voice. Like, he's like, God told me like that, you know, his love is greater than my sin. And he's like, and now I feel like, you know, the, the weight was lifted off. And, and so he was just like, and I was crying and he's like, I wasn't even, you know, it just completely rocked his world. And so, yeah, dude, like, I'm so blessed by that. And it just goes to show like 
in this time, like we don't have to have something written down. We don't have to have the fancy words and the eloquent things and all this stuff. Like, no, God will use you if you are willing. Like I was so nervous <laughs> to press live, go live on that button, but I did. And when I did, so many people even till today, like people are hitting me up in my inbox talking about they thought they were alone and and how their lives, people are crying and they're just like, oh my gosh, like thank you for sharing your testimony that touched my heart and all this stuff. So I wanna encourage all of you guys, um, you know, during this time and even after this time, because it shouldn't take a pandemic for us to realize like, man, we need to be more vocal about what the Lord has done for us. We need to just go out there and grab it because like I shared in that testimony, like, um, you know, people out there in, in their sinful lives are very vocal, are very proud of it, are very proudful, prideful, and, you know, just sharing what they've done, like, it's nothing, like, we need to share what God has done for our lives, like, like, it's really big, like, it's huge, it's a game changer, and people need to know, so, that was my testimony. <laughs> Amen. Thank you so much for sharing. Let's see if Joe B, I think his mic is working now. Joe B, can you give it a test and then you can close us out here, brother? Hello. Perfect. Go ahead sure. and close us out, brother. Okay, sorry. Sorry about that. But um, Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, uh, for your word. Thank you for entrusting us with the gospel. Lord, we praise you, God. We give you glory. We give you honor. Uh, I just pray, God, that you would give us... Um, well, more wisdom, God, just wisdom on how to spread your word during this time. I thank you, God, for the testimonies uh, that this core has, Lord, of, of preaching the gospel on the streets, of sharing testimonies on Facebook, Lord. I pray, God, that that, that would increase, Lord, that you would continue to speak to our hearts, Lord. Give us visions, uh, Lord, in our times of prayer, God, give us ideas. That way, God, people may know you, Lord. They may repent. Uh, Lord, because we know that if no one uh, speaks your word, God, how many people know it? If uh, no one uh, hears it, Lord, how can they receive it and believe in you, that you died and you resurrected? God, I pray that each and every one of us would be empowered. We'd be given boldness. Lord, I pray for boldness on this cohort, that there'd be no fear of man. There'd be no fear of persecution. There'd be no fear of mockery. But God, we would look to your reward in heaven as we preach the gospel in your presence on earth, Lord, as a sustaining, uh, as a sustaining uh, joy. Lord, I pray that you uh, just have your way in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.